Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. We'll be to get today in Matthew chapter 18. Today, we will be talking about the church. Um... In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses the word church two times. In fact, in the Gospels, the only time you see the word church are in one passage that we already covered in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then here, today, he uses the word church again. This is one of the most important passages as we think about what the church is and what our duties are to be a church. Because it is one of the only places where Jesus used the word church. Now, what is it that makes a church a church? Remember, I've said before, it's not the building. It's the people. This building is not Woburn Baptist Church. It's you. You are Woburn Baptist Church. Amen. And it's not just any kind of civic organization. You can have any kind of group of people and gathering together to do all kinds of different things, but what makes a church A church. The first thing we did whenever you called me as pastor is we made a revision to our church covenant. What makes a church a church? For one, it's the people that God has called together to be His people. And that's written out in the language of our church covenant. I'd like us to take that. Everybody has it in front of you probably in in your pew. You don't have to stand. But I'd like us to all take this and look at it in front of us. If you're a member of Woburn Baptist Church, I'd like you to read it with me out loud. And if you're a member of a church, but not a member of Woburn Baptist, I'd like you to read it as well and just think of your own church wherever you are a member as you read it. And remind you of what you have promised as you covenant together with a people of God in a specific location. And if you're not a member of any church at all, I just want you to listen. Listen to these words. These words that remind us of what it means to be a member of a local church. Let's read this together, our church covenant. Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and in this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, 
to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from any drug, food, drink, or practice which brings unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardizes our own or another's faith, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and Christian courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation, and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Amen. 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 This, as members of a church, as members of Woburn Baptist Church, this is what we promise to one another. Now, Jesus... Last week, we were looking at the parable of the lost sheep and how Jesus loves his people. He loves us. We are the apple of his eye and he loves his sheep so much that if one sheep wanders off away from the flock, he will go after them and take that one sheep that strayed away and bring it back into the flock. And he will rejoice more over that one sheep than over all the 99 that went astray. This passage that we're looking at today is telling us how we are to be that good shepherd. He tells us to go like he did after that one sheep that goes astray. In this passage, what do we do? When someone who is a member of our church, when someone who is a believer begins to stray away into sin, how do we as a church respond to go after the sheep that is gone, that that leaves? How are we to respond? Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Let's read what Jesus says to us. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you 
that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, among them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would speak to us today, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us a heart to hear and obey, Lord, that we would submit to your word above all things for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. Lord, we pray that you would help knock down any barriers to our understanding, Lord, any barriers in our heart that resists your word. We pray that you would knock it out, Lord, that we would live out these words. And Father, I pray that you would be with me. Lord, give me grace. We are all sinners, and that means the preacher. And I pray that you would be with me. Give me grace as I speak your word. Help me to tremble as I recognize how great and awesome your word is. In Jesus' name, amen. What do we do when a sheep goes astray? It would be tempting to avoid controversy and just to let them go. I know of a church, and that church will remain nameless. I know of a church where there was a couple, it was a married couple, and they had a couple of children. And after they'd been married for a few years, the man decides to leave. He leaves his wife so that he could enter into a relationship with another man. Now I hear about this story from, a, from this church. And I kind of wonder, what is the church going to do about it? My understanding is this, this particular church just ignored it. They let the sheep go, and they didn't pursue the sheep. I spoke with a member of the church, a member of the church that I love very, very much. I asked what the church was going to do about this member who had strayed. She said, just leave it alone. We don't want to cause any trouble. Just leave it alone. My friends, that is not what Jesus said we are to do. That is letting the sheep go astray without any efforts. The good shepherd goes after his sheep. He leaves the 99 and he goes after his sheep. And this is how he tells us to do it. 
First, our first step, we go to the person individually. If your brother sins against you, or even if your brother sins and you see it, you recognize your brother as sinned. He's not, not living out the fruits of the Spirit, but he's instead living out the works of the flesh. And you see from his life, he's doing something that's just not in keeping with the character of what a Christian should be living. Can you just ignore that? Jesus tells us what we do is we go to them privately. We confront them privately. These are words that make you tremble. That's scary. How do you go to somebody who has sinned against you? In this world today, the most commonly quoted scripture that anybody knows, whether they're saved or lost, is judge not. Judge not. And we feel if we go to somebody who we see in sin, we're going to be perceived as judging. Jesus didn't have that objection. He tells us to go. This is not judging. This is rescuing. Rescuing. That's what we're doing. And he says, go to the person privately so that you don't... Maybe there was some kind of a misunderstanding. Maybe in our... We thought we saw something that wasn't real. What, maybe it was just something we didn't, didn't understand. We can go to that person privately and, and resolve it without bringing anybody else into the matter. What happens when we go to that person? And it's clear, yes, it, it is, and this person is wandering away from Jesus. What do we do when they do not repent? What do we do when they don't turn away from their sins? <clears throat> Jesus says, go to them with, two, with one or two others. He says that so that, that there may be two or three witnesses. In the legal courts in the Old Testament, there was a requirement that there be two or three witnesses. Someone's... Someone's own testimony, just one person, he said, she said, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be accepted in a court of law. You needed two or three witnesses to make something stand. So what Jesus says, so that there's no dispute about what has happened, you take one or two people along in a small group and you confront that person, that brother, that sister who has erred, that is straying away from Jesus. That sheep that is straying away. And you tell them, not because you want to judge them, not because you want to point out how bad they are, but so that you can rescue them like that sheep, like Jesus goes and finds. And we, we go to them. You might go to them with two or three people. And you show them their sin. Maybe what you'll find when you, when you go there with two or three other people, maybe those two other people will say, no, I'm, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I don't think this brother is in sin. I think that maybe you, you're wrong about, about this judgment that you've made. Maybe you're being too condemn, condemning. Or maybe by two or three being there with you, you can confirm, yes, this brother or sister is straying away from the faith. Jesus says then, if they still don't repent, 
If they still are wandering away, what do you do? You bring it before the church. You don't take it before outsiders. You don't spread it on Facebook about how this brother or sister is is living in sin and all the kinds of gossip. You don't spread it throughout the community and, and just run your mouth about everything this person is doing. No, you tell it to the church. And what is the church to do? The church is to plead Plead with all the compassion that they have. Plead, plead. Brother, come back. Turn from your sin. Turn, come back. We can be that shepherd together that goes after the straying sheep. We plead, please, come back. If that brother or sister, does not turn. Jesus says to treat them as a heathen or, an un, or, or a tax collector. He says to treat them. My eyes are trying to find the place. As a Gentile or a tax collector. What does that mean? What does it mean to treat someone like a Gentile or a tax collector? Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. It does not mean that these people are not welcome in our midst. They are. We want people who have strayed to come back to hear the preaching of the Word, to hear that preaching so that God's Word can break through their resistance and they can believe again and they can turn and repent. It's not that they're unwelcome. But we have to treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. We'll treat them like we would treat any other lost person. Do we know that they're lost? Do we know for sure? No. We cannot see another person's heart. We don't know for sure. But if it has gone through these steps, you've gone to the person individually, you've gone to the person with a couple of people, you've gone to the person as a church and pleaded with them to turn from their sins and they still don't repent. You know, one of the things about Baptist churches, we believe in what's called regenerate church membership. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters would differ with us on this. They would believe that you can have members of the church that are not saved. That's why they baptize their infants. They baptize their infants to include them as part of covenant children and they can grow up in that church and they'll be considered a part of the church. But as Baptists, we don't Consider our children members until they have personally expressed faith in Jesus as Savior and been through the baptismal waters. As Baptists, we we are a, a denomination that believes in regenerate church membership. That's why in the 1800s, Baptist churches throughout the South in our nation disciplined 2% of their membership every single year. Because they believed so strongly 
that we should have a regenerate church membership, a church that is made up only of believers, that when someone began to stray, they would practice what Jesus said. And when someone would not repent, they would strike their name off of the church roll. Disciplined. This is not something to rejoice in. It's something to grieve over. Yet it is our responsibility. It is our responsibility in obedience to Jesus. Jesus used the word church two times in the whole four Gospels. And this was one of them. Tell it to the church. And if they don't repent, treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. It also means, while they are welcome to come, we want them to come and hear the message, to hear God's word being preached. We would not allow them to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for believers only. It is not for unbelievers. This is a family meal. So if someone wanders into sin... And we go through all those processes. Go to them individually. Go to them as a small group. Go to them as a church. And they still don't repent. We would not do anything to give them any comfort. To give them any false assurance that they are actually a believer. We don't want to encourage someone to just continue in their sin thinking, I'm okay, I walked an aisle, me and God are good. No. When we see someone who professes to be a believer who has walked away from the faith, we go to them. We go to them like the shepherd who leaves the 99 and seeks out his sheep. Not because we want to judge people, not because we don't like people, but because we want to save them, to rescue them from the fire. What kinds of sins should this be practiced for? You know, Peter tells us love covers a multitude of sins. You know, as believers, we are all sinners. Do we want to go around like that fruit inspector and just find the speck in everyone else's eye when we've got a log in our own and be just Pharisees? There is a danger we could be like the Pharisees with this passage and just go around pointing out everybody else's sin when we've got our own that we haven't dealt with. For minor things. And there is nothing that's minor. Every sin that we commit can send us to hell apart from Christ. But for things that maybe just be an irritation to us personally, love covers a multitude of sins. But something that's doctrinal error, that's one thing. Some, if, if someone came in who did not believe in the Trinity 
of, of doctrines. God being one God in three persons. This is a, a, a doctrine that all Bible-believing Christians agree on, whether it's Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, whether it's uh, Baptist, whether, even the Roman Catholic Church agrees with this in the doctrine of the Trinity. If someone comes in and they join our church and then it becomes apparent, maybe they're teaching a Sunday school class and they reject the doctrine of the Trinity, that would be something that we need to practice this kind of thing. We go to them individually. We go to them with a small group. And if they still can persist, we don't want to give them any comfort that they're a believer. Doctrine matters. We don't want to Head, uh, try to make everybody completely uh, toe the line and, on our own preferences and what we see things. But there are certain things that are just so clear. The resurrection from the dead. That Jesus rose from the dead. What, what if someone comes in and tries to teach that Jesus only spiritually rose from the dead, but not he, his body was never raised from the dead? That would be something that we would need to practice that kind of discipline. Paul tells in 1 Corinthians about another case where they had to practice this. There was a man in in Corinth who had been sexually immoral with his own stepmother. That was a case that was obvious. It brought reproach upon the church. They could not tolerate that in their midst. They had to say something to their brother. They would not recognize him as a member. Paul said the punishment in, in, a, in oh, this is where this is going. In, in 2 Corinthians, the punishment that they did, when they, when they cast him out from being a member, it was successful. It redeemed that man. And Paul said the punishment that was inflicted by the majority was sufficient. Go ahead and refer, reaffirm your love for this brother. While he was put out of the church... He was reaffirmed whenever he repented. Well, that reminds me, what do we do whenever a person strays? And we go through that process and then they repent. What what do we do when they turn back? What do they do after we have have disfellowshipped them? After we have have taken the privilege from the Lord's table and we have have, uh, removed them from our membership? What happens when they come to us and say, I've seen the error of my ways? We embrace them with open arms. We embrace them just like we would anybody that walks the aisle and comes forward and and prays to receive Christ. We embrace them and there is more rejoicing in heaven over that one who strayed and who's come back than the 99 who stayed. Church, this is a practice that is controversial. I don't have to tell you that. This is a practice that we have as Baptists. In the 1800s, it was practiced regularly. It was one of the things that made us Baptists. But today, through the 20th century, we strayed away from it. Because we had grown weary of holding one another accountable. But there is a revival of this. And you see more and more churches that are practicing this. And our culture is coming to a point where we have to. We don't have much choice. The way the culture is moving. 
And it, 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 uh, it's telling us we have to accept things that, that we, we cannot. If we're committed to the Bible and God's teaching, we, we cannot. We're living in days where the church has to be more distinct. More distinct than it has been for the last hundred years. The, the time that, that we're living in today where the culture is changing, it's no longer so, so friendly to Christianity as it once was, means all the more that we need to have a distinction between who's a believer and who's not. For the sake of God's glory. Why is it that we would do something so strange? Why would, is it that we would do something so strange as to practice what's called church discipline? Ultimately, it's for God's glory. When we go through these steps, it is redemptive. We're doing it because we want the person to turn away from their sin and come back. We want to see God glorified in their repentance. But ultimately, whether they do or whether they don't, it's for God's glory. That He would be glorified by a church that's being obedient to His command. Well, I think I've said enough. We live in uncertain times. We live in a culture that is hostile to our faith. These words are important. These words may be the most important thing that Jesus said about the church. And it will take courage to be obedient to Jesus. May He give us that courage. And may He give us grace and mercy so that we can have wisdom in knowing when appropriate times to practice this are. And when we just need to remember that love covers a multitude of sins. May we here at Woburn Baptist Church be a congregation that seeks out the lost sheep and rejoices over the one that came back. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.